0: Hello and welcome to Adapod, a podcast by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. I'm your host, Emilio Garcia. Today, we sat down with David Limerick, Liberal Democrats' MLC for Victoria, and David Williams, President of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, to talk about drug policy as well as energy policy. I hope you enjoy the episode. And please stick around after the episode to find out how to participate more with the ATA. Enjoy the episode. Okay, here we are once again at the Australian Taxpayers Alliance office with uh, two really great guests, a
1: couple of Davids with us. So uh, can I ask you to introduce yourselves, please? Hi, um, my name's David Limbrick. I'm a, a member of Parliament for Victorian uh, Legislative Council the upper house and um, uh, For the Liberal Democrats and I was elected uh, last November and yeah, I've been there since then. Fantastic David Williams with the Taxpayers
2: Protection Alliance as you can tell by my accent. I'm not from Australia <laughs> I'm from the states right. uh, live and work in Washington DC
0: Love it so a couple of Yanks and, a, and an Aussie. Yeah, it works. <laughs> I feel so, that number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you both say that you're mostly libertarian minded, or do you uh, do you go by the libertarian tag? Or
1: yeah, I use that to uh, identify or, or classical liberal libertarian. But mm. yeah, yep, yeah.
2: More and more, I consider myself libertarian. Seeing uh, in the states what the Republican Party stands for <laughs> is stuff I really don't stand for. Mm. Um, and yes, okay. I'm a lot more libertarian today than I was uh, when I first uh, went to Washington, D.C.
0: Okay, great. Well, it's good to kind of set up that baseline. I want to get a- into a-, a topic that it also seems it's hard to pin down where people uh, would stand within Australia or within the U.S., within the, kind of the traditional parties. And that's uh, energy policy, especially mm. as it relates to climate change. Mm. So specifically nuclear Mm-hmm. Fracking to a, to a certain degree is a little bit different, just because there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there. But if we can start with nuclear, it would seem if you want to create energy that is clean and that does not have a lot of emissions, that would that would seem like uh, an environmentally friendly solution to to go down. But we're not quite there yet, and and it, we, we're facing a lot of pushback. So, uh,
1: do do either of you want to want to kind of talk to this for for a bit? Yeah. Well, I mean. Uh... To Take a step back from uh liberal Democrats policy point of view. We're, we're neutral on energy So we just want all options on the table. Okay, and so we've been focusing a lot on nuclear energy recently because um, it, it is a, a sort, you know, clearly there is demand for low carbon g- carbon energy production um, however in Victoria it's banned. So we have a special prohibition which was enacted in uh, 1983 mm. that bans anything to do with nuclear. So you know, exploration of uranium, mining, uh, processing, fuel cycle, anything to do with uranium or thorium or anything like that. Right. Um, federally, we also have bans and right. New South Wales has a ban. So what's been happening recently is uh, there's been inquiries launched into these bans. So federally, the uh, Liberal Party... Uh, well, the coalition mm. has launched the inquiry into the federal ban. Uh, New South Wales has an inquiry going into their ban. They're looking mm-hmm. at a private member's bill to repeal the ban. Okay. And what the Liberal Democrats did last last week, we successfully uh, beat the government, actually, and the Greens in getting up an inquiry, which was my motion, to uh, refer the issue of the bans, of, of the prohibitions, to mm. the Environment and Planning Committee to look at what might be the benefits of getting rid of those bans. Okay. and. Some of those benefits could be low carbon energy production, right. of course. Interesting. So I, I'd, love, I'd like to go back a little bit because I, uh,
0: we all know that these bans exist. Yes. But where did they come from? I, it seems almost, I mean, it seems to just go against all reason mm. that somehow Australia, with all of the uranium mm. that, it had, that we have, somehow mm-hmm. just decided, you know what, we're just not going to, that, that whole thing, we're just not going to do that. Well, how'd that happen?
1: Well, uh, Victoria was one of the first places to put in this ban. So the mm. the federal ban wasn't until 1998, but the Victorian ban was in 1983. And the mm. backdrop there was it was right in the middle of the Cold War. Um, and I, I think I said this, I went into the background of this in my uh, speech when I, I, I argued for the motion, but... Um, the uh, the government had just gotten elected. So this was a Labor government, the Cain government back in 1983. They promised when they went to the election that they would ban nuclear technologies in Victoria. Oh. Now, what happened at the time is I think the, the Liberal Party uh, uh, spoke against it. They ended up voting for it in the end because mm. I, I don't know why, but <laughs> they <clears throat> they spoke against it. And I think their reasoning was fairly solid. They said, okay, the, um, the Labor Party was just it's a cheap win because they can uh, institute this legislation. At the time, there was no prospect in the short term of any sort of nuclear industry in Victoria. They are capitalizing on people's fear of technology mm. and it's an easy thing, but the liberal party and the national party to their credit at the time, they said, yeah, but what about the future? Like in one day in the future, right. um, <clears throat> you know, because Victoria's got lots of brown coal. We've got mountains and mountains of brown coal, right? And, they said at the time okay well you know there's no real cost to putting in this ban they've got tons of coal no No one really cared about climate change or any of that stuff back then Mm. um it's an edgy thing that people are scared of nuclear so let's just ban it It won't cost any jobs (laughs) yeah and so they they did it and then you know you fast forward to the present day um people are asking lots of questions about burning brown coal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're concerned about climate change. Nuclear technology's changed. Um, so lots of these things have changed now. So my slogan that I went to it with was, the climate's changed on nuclear. And- <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good line. I like yeah, that. so, um, and, you know, I think that the majority, well, I know yeah. that the majority ended up accepting that, you know, maybe they didn't uh, agree with nuclear technology or maybe they... Uh, uh, Had questions about it still, but they're open minded enough to say to their credit, Mm. maybe it's time we had another look at this. And so the inquiry is going ahead. Well,
2: and as you said initially, was all of the above. Mm -hmm. When you look at energy, you have to look at all of the above because Mm. once you start limiting Mm. your technology, then, you know, I kind of look at it as uh, backdoor corporate welfare. Mm-hmm. It's because then you window yourself down to, okay, then these two sources of energy production are the only two that are acceptable. Right. Well, then you're really limiting the choices. Mm-hmm. And it's almost back to our corporate welfare because only a certain companies will be able to provide it. Yeah. So it is all of the above. And it's for consumer choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, is that this will lower the cost of energy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think... You know, some people fail to realize, and they say, well, what about the climate? Well, what about consumers and families Mm -hmm. that are trying to make ends meet and are trying to pay electric bills? You have to have an all the above approach to this to bring down energy costs. And it would Mm. seem
0: that this approach is working to reduce CO2 emissions. Now, Donald Trump uh, famously left the Paris Climate Accords, and we thought that we were all going to die and burn in 12 years because of it. And what we saw is the U.S. dramatically dropping their CO2 emissions, and in fact, they led the world in it. Mm, mm, so mm. it's not only that we're putting uh, consumers or families or prices before the environment, but that in liberalizing these industries by rejecting uh, the premises of the, of the Paris Climate Accord, we actually got ahead, mm. right? And this is, I, I want to kind of get into a little bit of the background of why we would even want to support nuclear so we we get that yes it's it's clean but what would it mean we can talk about about the u.s in a sec but since it's an aussie podcast absolutely <laughs> what would this mean for uh for australia if we really what do you think obviously it's kind of hard to tell but if we do reach the conclusion that nuclear would be great for australia and these bans are done away with what could we expect to see?
1: Okay, so one of the things that I've been bringing up, like whenever you talk about nuclear, people, people instantly start talking about, oh, building a nu- nuclear reactor. Like that's mm. what they think when they talk about nuclear. But if we're talking about things like climate change, we're talking about a global issue, right? And one mm. of the things that people aren't aware of about Australia is we, ex- in the 1718 financial year, we exported uh, uranium, which had energy equivalent to... Australia's entire electricity production, our entire domestic production, about ninety-six percent. Mm. So, the exports that we produce from from uranium to the world are generating zero-carbon energy equivalent to one hundred percent renewables in wow. Australia, right? And there is a massive scope, in my opinion, to to do more with that. You know, mm. we could we could. Uh, exp- you know, there's a lot of new reactors coming online globally. Do we does Australia even need nuclear reactors? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but you know, let's ask the question. But I mean, there's a lot of lot of opportunity to get involved in the fuel cycle. So we can, you know, there's things that we could do to uh, uh, process these things here and add value. Mm -hmm. Plus, there's also new technologies, so things like uh, small modular reactors, which you know, there's American companies coming out now with with um, business cases for these that are. you know, they're saying like for remote mining operations, of which there's a lot in Australia, they're saying, well, these are cost competitive with diesel generators uh, without any sort of subsidies or anything like that. They're saying, well, you know, it's cheaper to have one of these small modular reactors than a massive big diesel generator that's, you know, running remote mining operations. So the thing is that people talk about, you know, we need business cases and all this sort of stuff. Well, here's the thing, right? I, I had discussions about this, you know, how much in Victoria does you know an ounce of legal marijuana cost? Right, no one can answer that because ah. it's prohibited. Right, yeah. you can't price something <laughs> that's <good> illegal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't you can't price it. So, you know, people are saying, "Well, it's too expensive." Well, I say, "Well, we don't know and, until prohibition's removed." I don't think so.
0: Right, and well, your state, we, we had a you know trying to artificially move towards a, a cleaner energy kind of just artificially just through through restrictions that didn't go well right you you dealt with some uh with some blackouts in this uh in this blocking of, of um coal power plants so
1: yeah so i mean there's there's issues with um the coal pl- power plants and but yeah at, at the moment we've got a massive so the labor government when they were elected uh, in the last election they had a massive subsidy program for uh solar systems solar homes it's called mm. and what they've done with it is they said all right well, we've got this set number of subsidies Each month, they say, we're going to have X number of subsidies. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but Mm. there's a set number each month. So they're rationing it out, right? Because they don't want it all to rush in at once. But what's happened with that is that only the companies that can handhold their consumers through uh, getting these subsidies are getting the subsidies. And then the ones that miss out, well, their customers, even though they might be really good solar panels installers and have a good reputation, yeah. the customers don't get the subsidies. Guess what? The customers don't want the product, right? They want to wait, because they want the cheap one, right? They want, right. To, get it, they want to get the subsidized price. Yeah. So they say, well, I'm not going to buy off you. or I'm going to wait a few months. We've got solar in- installation companies going back broke left, right and center. Like they're, they're just, and wow. only ones that are doing really well are the ones that can walk their customers through the process. Apparently like in the first, couple of hours of each month, the subsidies are gone just like that, you know, wow. they're gone. So, yeah, it's a it's a total mess at the moment, and it's a real sore point yep. for the government, I think, which is why they're probably not too keen on talking about nuclear at the moment. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and it's uh, the government understanding technology changes over time, As you mm. talk about the ban in 1983, mm. 1998, and just where nuclear has progressed Mm. over the decades. Mm. And we talk about these SMRs, these modular reactors. I mean, this is revolutionary new stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And this is not something that was envisioned in the 70s or the 80s. But you have the the private sector, the free market, developing these because companies want this. They need this energy. Mm, mm. And it's not the government (laughs) that has produced this. These are companies that are Mm. doing this because they know there's a demand and a need for it. So... You know, when you think about nuclear, don't think about 1983. Think about 2019 mm. and 2020 and 2025, what these, you know, reactors will be doing and how it's different than
1: back in the 70s. I mean, these these companies, are they're smart, right? Like, it's mm. like any new market... They figure out their niche market first, they get their customer base where they have a value proposition in that niche market. Then once they get the scale up, they can reduce the cost, then they can branch it out into more markets. That's Mm. exactly what these companies are doing. The niche markets that they're looking at initially is things like remote operations, remote towns. Um, Undoubtedly, They'll get the costs down as they figure this out, and then they have more markets that they can sell into. Right, and ideally, we would wait until those prices get to a a sellable point,
0: and then just allow those to make their way through the market. I think we we saw uh, before solar panels were were cheap and when they were extremely expensive, we saw this huge push to put them on roofs, and all these people went to all this debt, assuming this was the proper thing to do. And, you know, God, if they just waited six years... It would have probably paid 80% less.
1: Yeah.
2: And you can't yeah. underestimate the economic impact that it's going to have in towns and really mm-hmm. just across the country. Because mm-hmm. in, in the United States, you know, we have we have fracking, we have yes. oil, and it's providing really good jobs
1: mm-hmm. to middle class mm-hmm.
2: folks. In, mm. in North Dakota mm. you know we're not talking about big cities and the same is possible here with these uh, modular reactors it's it's going to help the economy of Australia because you're gonna have more efficient uh, operations so you, it's just you're gonna have that ripple effect that's gonna help the economy but also and that's why mm. you know and I keep on going back to what you said earlier all of the above mm. don't mm. limit the choices mm. Yeah, well, when I mean, it comes to energy. Well, I mean, fracking
0: and solar individually, sorry, I'll get back yeah, to you no. in one second, but in the US, we have more jobs in fracking and in solar than in oil, mm. which is, I mean, just, just yeah. mind-boggling. Mm. And so, I mean, you, you can speak to this a little. I think you were about to make this point. How much are we holding ourselves back here in Australia by kind of placing these feel-good uh, restrictions or uh, cautious, uh, maybe virtue-signaling restrictions? Well, I mean, fracking is
1: banned in Victoria too. And, mm. um, you know, I think... I don't think there's any onshore gas production that we're talking about in Victoria, but we've got mountains of gas there. Um, but I mean, you look at it in terms of uh, what, you, what you said before, David, about um, these jobs and stuff where we're, the coal power stations out in, in Gippsland in Victoria, they're shutting down. Like they're going to, they're going to shut down eventually. One of them's already shut down. And the people who live out there, they're thinking, well, you know everyone who everyone who lives out there they know someone who works at the power station right and they've been there for a long time they've got all this infrastructure there and look you think well you know could they be replaced by you know an smr or some sort of reactor you know would the local community could they get social license to have that I mean, we just haven't had that conversation mm-hmm. we really don't know you know nuclear is a big thing and it, if you're going to bring it in you need some sort of engagement and social license but if people are faced with the prospect of, you know, there might be a new industry coming to town that has a 60 to 80 year lifespan of this facility, high tech, really high paying jobs. Yeah. Maybe they're interested. I don't know. Like, mm. you know, we we should have the conversation, yeah. I think. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, since we're on the topic of maybe uh, doing away with some regulations and laws and restrictions yeah. that uh, do little more than keep people calm and maybe have a negative adverse rea- uh, consequences, let's talk about drugs. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, we're, we're obviously functioning here in two very different um, environments from the U.S. to Australia. Mm. The U.S., we've seen uh, uh, a big liberalization when it comes to marijuana. Yep. In Australia, there was uh, a big ruling some time back that uh, it was legal for, for uh Uh, medical marijuana to be Mm. sold, but uh, for some reason, not a single person has actually gotten any medical marijuana prescribed to them yet.
1: Uh, No, that's not true in Victoria, no. Oh, are you you getting
0: people... uh, Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, people can get a hold of it.
1: Um, Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about this? All all right, right, so... um, one of the things that the Labor government in Victoria did in their last term, which was they, they actually made some really good moves on drug law reform. So oh, I'm happy to call out bad stuff and good stuff. And in yeah. this case, I'm calling out good stuff that they did. So mm. they did make some moves on medical marijuana. They actually, We actually have a production. Uh, mm. They've started production and testing. There's problems with that, though. And we actually asked about this in Parliament last week. They've been producing now for a while, and none of it's gone to patients and... We, we asked, where's the stash? Yeah. And the problem <laughs> the is it needs federal approval, right? Because gotcha. it's a Schedule 8 drug, yeah. um, which, which means it's highly restricted. You know, same sort of level as morphine and these other mm. highly addictive opiates. So that's a problem. But uh, patients are being prescribed um, these uh, medical marijuana products. They're coming in from Canada, though. They're being oh. imported. They're very expensive. Uh, There's lots of problems with bottlenecks in the distribution, but they are getting it. And the thing that got it over the line, I think, in Victoria was the cases of these uh, children primarily that um, had uh, really bad uh, epilepsy, uh, neurological conditions Mm. that caused them to have these really bad fits. And in some cases, uh, it assists. And, and can uh, help these children. And um, parents were doing it illegally. Yep. And, you know, government came in and wanted to take parents away from children. And there was a big public outcry. Yep. People were saying, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And um, and they, they made moves on that. And, that. and that was great. So actually, I think we're progressing. We actually got another inquiry up. This wasn't the Liberal Democrats. This was another party called the Reason Party. But they've, mm. they've done a lot on drug law reform. So there is an inquiry into cannabis going ahead in Victoria. Um, so that's a really good thing. Another thing that's happening in Victoria is we've got a trial on for a medically supervised injecting centre, which mm. I went on a tour of recently. So it's a just a facility where um, people oh. who are using primarily heroin mm. um, can go in and uh, do so in the presence of a medical professional. So um,
0: That's the Portuguese model, I believe, correct?
1: Yeah, so we haven't decriminalised it. So it's a bit yeah. tricky with the law. So the police sort of just don't, uh go near the center i mean it's it's an interesting one i mean one of the things that i spoke about in a speech recently that mm. that shocked me so i went in there and you, you hear a lot about people dying from overdoses from heroin right but what you don't hear a lot about is uh people getting brain damage apparently about 20 percent of the of the people that go into these places and, and you know a lot of addicts in general have Brain damage because they they have an overdose. Their breathing becomes more shallow. uh, Their brain oxygen levels drop, and they and they uh, in some cases they die. Mm. But in other cases, they get brain damage, which of course, you know, have all sorts of catastrophic effects for their life and their productivity and everything. Mm. Um, But it's pretty easy to reverse this if the medical professionals close by they put an oxygen mask on you they can give you a dose of naloxone which will reverse the effects of it it's pretty pretty easy to get them out of it in lots of cases apparently so you know i'm not a doctor but you know this is what they tell me it's not a big deal the problem is when they're out alone they're at home or or they're out on the streets Mm. there's no one there looking out for them um that's when the big trouble happens so you know this facility it was interesting for me to look at and um I think it's it's an interesting thing, but right. yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting because I mean that's probably a step forward, mm. but we're still ha- we still have all of that in the hands of the black market. As, yes, as long as it continues to be illegal, and that yes. this is where I kind of want to bring you in yeah. from New yeah. America. We, we've seen some some really interesting research when it comes to marijuana, which has become legal not just for medical use, but
2: right. recreational, recreational use in yeah, a mm-hmm. number of states. Yeah, that's
0: right. And we've seen you know somewhat of an increase in usage, which was expected, but what we've seen is the, the production or the sale has been completely removed from the black market. It exactly. is mm. all 100% in the hands of legal, uh, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens. I mean, you
2: literally walk into a store and it's like an ice cream store. You get to pick your flavor <laughs> of marijuana. And yeah. this is Colorado, this is Oregon, this is a, a lot of states. And the criminal activity has decreased mm. because there's no longer a need to, you know, to go into the alley and make, your, mm, and make your purchase. Mm. And what frustrates me is that, especially medical marijuana, there are some serious uses for marijuana when it comes to, to medicine. And we have members of Congress and former members of Congress, I'm thinking of one person in particular, who's a doctor mm. and refused to see the benefits of medical marijuana. Really? Because mm. he's a social conservative.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: he just, because marijuana has always had this, you know, the scarlet letter. Right. And, but the uses, I mean, are dramatic mm. for, and we talk about the, the children, and, and David's absolutely right is that we have children that have epilepsy, and this is, this helps them. Mm. But then you have the government step in and say, you just gave your kid pot. Well, no, you have to talk <laughs> mm. about it a different way. This is a, a medical condition, right. and it's treating the symptoms. So it's, yeah. there's a lot of miseducation. For sure. And they seem kind of comfortable
0: giving their kids, uh, Adderall, which is essentially a type of amphetamine, but God Mm. forbid you give them some cannabis oil. Mm. Uh, But yeah, sorry, David, you were going to jump in there.
1: Well, um, there's another interesting development. I know this has been happening in the States as well. And another thing that they've sort of allowed in Victoria now is um, a trial into uh, psilocybin for um, uh, palliative care of all things. So um, uh, they're running a trial on this at one of the hospitals there. And... Apparently, they use it in conjunction with psychotherapy and um, to prepare people, basically to prepare them for death. And um, it's been reported to me that this can actually have really positive effects on, you know, people who are in this, (coughs) excuse me, in this uh, situation. Of course, they're very, they're very stressed. Um, it's, It's not a... Great situation, and apparently going through this psych- psychotherapy can help um, make them calm and in a better condition to um, do what they need to do be- before they yeah. pass and it, away. And it's helping and so,
2: uh, people in the military with <coughs> post-traumatic oh. stress disorder.
0: Mm. Now, it's, what is this um, substance you're talking about?
1: Uh, so psilocybin—it's magic mushrooms, basically. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. yeah. Um, Interestingly, that you talked about um, social conservatives before and the benefits of drugs. Um, So one thing that I try and avoid talking about as much as possible is the possible benefits of drugs, even though I acknowledge that there are Mm. benefits. So um, I recently spoke at the inaugural CPAC Australia uh, conference and I spoke about drug decriminalization. I very specifically didn't talk about benefits of drugs. In fact, up front, I said drugs bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, There's harms from drugs and um i think you make a very good point that a lot of these uh a lot of social conservatives will not budge on the idea of um whether drugs are good or not they'll, they'll say look, that's bad and <clears throat> that's fine like i'm totally fine with people having that view i think what i've tried to focus on and i think it got a pretty good reception was the idea that um drugs cause harm but the laws are causing more harm yes yeah. and maybe we should start thinking about the laws. And I gave some examples of uh, conservatives who changed their views on drugs. And luckily enough, one of those conservatives was on stage with me, and he was the ex-premier of Queensland. And he had a reputation for being you know, tough on crime and all that while he was premier. And like lots of politicians, they undergo an epiphany after they... But you know, he try to he to it and have yeah. No success, well, yeah, yeah. well, you know, he, he, to his credit, you know, he said, Look, you know, I was wrong, and um, he supports decriminalization. In fact, he was actually talking about legalization, which wow. I wasn't going to talk about yeah. on the stage with all the conservatives, <laughs> but yeah,
0: yeah. Well, let me ask you just because uh, we're uh, we're getting we're nearing the end, and we do like to talk about solutions at the <clears throat> Australian Taxpayers Alliance, so this is all true. There seem to be you know a lot of um, taboo socially and uh, politically it's also a sensitive issue but let's say that that wasn't uh, that wasn't a factor that, that convincing the public or convincing certain more conservative members of, of Congress or the legislature in, in general was an issue. What would be the ideal policy do you think to implement in Australia or in the u s for drugs for reducing uh, just the, the negative side effects of it as, as much as possible while increasing the benefits as much as possible.
1: Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to refer to my party's policy. So liberal Democrats policy on drugs is effectively we say, uh, okay. There's a, there's been social, uh, license given to alcohol, right? Mm. So we say that anything that can have demonstrably less harm than alcohol should be legalized uh, and if it's got more harm then we should reconsider about how to do that mm-hmm. we don't say which drugs they are um, we're happy to have that discussion okay um, but we do say for the in the case of cannabis that we support full legalization yep. for other drugs you know that's a discussion that we would have to have um, we don't claim to be medical experts on this but okay. we're happy we want that discussion to have and I, I think that's that's the way to do it you know Seems people people that have already accepted that alcohols has a certain level of harm and we can we can deal with that so let's yeah okay. that's the way we deal with it
2: and in the states we have a bit of a different issue we have 50 states yes <laughs> all making right. their own decisions mm, and mm. what we're having now is marijuana competition mm, is mm, that mm, uh, mm. people are traveling to states where marijuana is legal mm. so they're getting marijuana tourism mm. and so I think it starts there, is that states are deciding and the federal government needs to take a step back. And, you know, back 15 years ago, it's something that TPA worked on was the federal government suing states for medical marijuana. Mm. It's just saying, let's leave them alone and let them develop their own systems. But I think, listen, 15 or 20 years ago, we wouldn't have be having this discussion about marijuana. So we're actually moving to a really good place now Mm -hmm. is that we're talking about this in the open in public competitive
1: federalism yeah yeah
2: and i I think it's fascinating that we've gotten this far uh you know not in the united states but in a lot of places to talk about the legalization of marijuana and people aren't freaked out about it anymore (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's a it's a real discussion and Mm -hmm. states should be able to decide and listen ultimately people should be able to decide what they do with their bodies and the intakes whether it's alcohol whether it's marijuana because you can't have you know my my frustration is you have politicians that will go home uh, have a few drinks and then the next morning say well no you can't smoke marijuana well Mm. wait a second so what what gives you (laughs) the license Mm. to you know have those two different thoughts so i Mm. think that's where we're moving, but it's also going to be a revenue stream. I mean, let's yeah. put it right on the table: mm-hmm. marijuana and you know, bringing it into legal sale is a revenue stream for states, and it's going to be a revenue stream for the federal government. Now, I mean, let's not tax the hell out of it, but yeah. there's a there's a lot of different moving parts here as to why you know, moving towards marijuana legalization, I think, is good for society and ultimately good for the government.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in- in Australia you're at least going to have gst right so you can't avoid that <laughs> yeah, and exactly, yeah. you know they they're going to put some sort of excise tax mm. on it let's be honest so. well let's hope that they don't tax
0: it to the degree that they're taxing cigarettes that they keep the illegal market alive. Oh, oh, oh no yeah. marijuana
2: is yeah. a lot more popular than cigarettes yes mm. i mean thing. if you if you talk to people <laughs> they they're more open to smoking marijuana than mm. smoking a cigarette it really uh, yeah. they've <laughs> the the talking has changed on these subjects it's, yeah, no, it's
0: it's amazing what can happen in a short period of time which is what we had unfortunately because we could talk for hours on this. But uh, thank you so much for being here. This has been fascinating, and we hope to see you again soon. Thanks Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Adapod, a podcast by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. If you care to know more about the ATA, visit their website, www.taxpayers.org, where you'll be able to see their mission statement, their projects, campaigns, objectives, and so much more. Remember, listening to the podcast is free, but creating it isn't. If you'd like to continue to see the Australian Taxpayers Alliance advocacy, please consider becoming a member or donating. You can do this on their website as well. This has been Adipod. We'll see you next time.